Bibles there. We've been working chapter by chapter through this book, uh, this fun and exciting history book of the children of Israel, uh, the book of Numbers. And we've come to a place in the life of the children of Israel that uh, for the first couple of years, remember, they got out of Egypt and they were in uh, at, the mount, at the base of Mount Sinai as God gave them instructions and rebuilt the nation and gave them laws. As you recall, they built the tabernacle and they set out on their journey. And they've been out for 38 years, kind of passed fairly quickly as we've studied through this section. We're in chapter 22 tonight where they're just in Moab. They're almost to the border. In fact, they're going to get to the border. The new generation has now come of age. The old generation has died in the wilderness because of their unbelief, and the new generation is here. And they've gone through some hardships. You remember a couple of chapters back where they were disobedient, and, and uh, God had to use the serpent on a pole. One of my favorite studies, by the way, so far, they had to look and what? Remember, they looked to what? To live. They looked at the pole to see the snake on the pole, their sin, and it was from in obedience. God said, when you look at the pole, you'll live. It's just a beautiful picture as they looked at their sin and that snake, and they were healed from their, their snake-bitten, dying self. Uh, we as Christians, we look to the pole, we look to the cross, we look to our sin, Jesus, who took our sin on the cross. We look to him, and we live. Beautiful, beautiful section of scripture that we uh, just covered. Well, now, now, just before the children of Israel are going to go across the border into the Jordan, there's a few more things. This story, one of the most ironic, satirical, hilarious, uh, you can say so many things about the portion of scripture that we're going to be studying about the prophet named Balaam, or Balim is the way you say it. I probably won't pronounce it like that anymore, but Balim is his name. And the king Balak from Moab, who most of his country has already been defeated, but he's trying to hold his remnant together. And he believes that through getting the, the prophet from the, the... He wasn't even local. This guy's a national guy. He's international. He's so famous He's such a soothsayer, such a great uh, uh, tarot card reader, a palm reader. A, uh, you could name, give him many different names, but he, he is so connected spiritually. He's got this power. And so this king is going to hire this man because he has a plan. He can't defeat militarily the vast number of Israelites that are there in his country. But if he can only get this Balaam guy to curse the people of God. Ah, that'll do it. So the next, really, three chapters, this chapter, and the, are all about this, this wonderful historical account, this inner uh, dialogue between Balaam, the prophet, King Balak, and the people, the children of Israel. A fascinating, surprisingly funny story, but, but a very serious encounter with God, and that's what we'll see. Now, remember, the children of Israel just came from, from the death of the snakes, and that changed their attitude. They started singing, remember? They were singing in the wilderness, and they've gone now, as we come to chapter 22, they've gone from occupying the cities in Moab right to the border. 
right before they go across the river. So they're camping right there in, in the king's backyard. He wants to do something to them. He's just not really sure how it's all going to work out. So he hires his hired gun, this prophet named Balaam. That's what we're going to read about tonight. And uh, it's funny, uh, I've entitled this study tonight, Balaam and his talking donkey. But if you're reading, anybody reading from the King James Bible tonight? King James. So there's a couple of you. As you read the King James Bible, it never says donkey in this. It has the other word for I'm not going to use it. You know what that word is. But it's really funny when you read the commentaries and, and studies from pastors from the 18th century. All of their titles include that word for a donkey. You know, the talking donkey or the, they're, they're hilarious, the titles. They crack you up when you read them as a pastor. Uh, if you have a King James, you can laugh. You, we, we understand what you're laughing at. If you don't have, if you got a new King James like me, it, it's translated donkey, and that's the way I'm going to uh, present it tonight. But uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into our study this evening. Father, thank you for the word, and I just thank you for this portion of scripture that, that really does reveal a lot about who we are and, and the call to follow and be obedient as Christians and not, not to be sold out uh, to other things for money like this false prophet was. It teaches us, Lord, that we're to be obedient to you even when it hurts and even though we don't know what, is, what your perfect will is. And we always want to be there, Lord, not in your permissive will, but your perfect will. So teach us tonight, Lord, as we approach this portion of Scripture Help us, Lord, to understand it and to, to enjoy our study together. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Now, in the story, in my title, obviously, this donkey is going to talk. And you, you're familiar with the story if you've read the Bible, if you've studied uh, this portion of Scripture, or if you read the New Testament. Uh, this man, Balaam, is mentioned over 40 times in the Old Testament. He's mentioned, and we know much more historically about him than we do about the mother of Jesus, Mary. There, there's more information about Balaam than there are about 10 of the apostles. We know a lot about Peter, right? But what about Bartholomew or Thomas? You don't really know much about them at all. But this guy, we know a lot about him, and again, it's a donkey that gets through. It's a donkey that's going to talk to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but God can use any kind of donkey that he wants to use in our life, right? He can, he can speak through whatever he wants to speak through, and that's really what this story, I heard this story, I want to tell you this, this joke that I heard um, about a man who saw one of those beautiful exotic parrots, you know, the kind they have down in Cuba, but this beautiful parrot, and he always wanted to have one. So he went into this store, and he bought this tropical parrot, and he brought it home from the store there. And as a new owner, he found out that the only words this parrot knew were foul. They were curse words. And so every time he talked to this parrot, or every time somebody came into his home, this parrot would bleep, bleep, bleep. And he was just getting sick of it. And so he looked at the parrot one day, and he said, listen, if you use any of those words anymore, I'm going to put you in the freezer. And so he bleep, bleep, bleeped to his owner. So the owner took him, and he put him in the freezer and closed the door. Ten minutes later, the owner opens the freezer, and there's the shivering bird, and he's looking back at all the frozen meat, you know, sitting in the freezer, and he, and he said, I just have one question. What did the turkey say? 
talking about talking animals. That's <laughs> Verse 1, then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. They defeated the Amorites, right? So he knew that. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up grass of the field. Kind of an interesting description there. And Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of the Moabites at that time, then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are setting, uh, settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once to curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So here's the beginning of this story here. We have King Balak and his plot described here in the first four verses. Israel has now moved from the cities that they occupied when the last chapter described these two battles that the singing, remember they're singing, the Israelites are singing, and they go and they just wipe out these cities and they occupy the cities of Moab. And then they've They've, they've traveled now, verse 1, they've moved. It says the children of Israel moved, and now they cl they're camping out in the plains again. What causes the children of Israel to move? Remember, what was it? It's either a cloud by day or a fire at night. So God's moved them again, and they've moved out of the cities, and now they are there, right there, ready to go into the promised land. That's where they're camped now, by the plains of Moab, on the side of the Jordan, right there across from, notice, Jericho. The first place they go as they go across the River Jordan is Jericho. So they're ready to go in. This is the closest that any of these people have ever been to this promised land that God has, has revealed to them and has promised them. And so now King Balak there sees this massive humanity in his land. And it's so interesting that that God has brought these people, they've finally learned and they have grown to the place where they can occupy the promised land. They take them, took them a long time, right? 38 years because of their dis disobedience, because of their unbelief. But they're finally there to this place. And after that whole episode with the bronze serpent, their attitude changed. God blessed them. He's, he gave them victory over these two different armies, and now they are, they're camped there by the Jordan River. In chapter 21, notice with me in verse 25, it says, Israel took all the cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites. And then verse 35 of chapter 21, they defeated his sons and his people until there was no survivor. So they've defeated these other two armies and all the people in front of them. They've learned to trust in the Lord, which is the subtitle of our series, Learning to Trust in God. That's what these people are learning 
before they get to the promised land. And now we come to verse 2 in chapter 22 with Balak, the son of Zippor. His name, Balak, you could say Baal. You remember him, right? The, the god. Baal Lock. You could call him or say his name that way. I'm just going to use Balak because that's the way I learned when I was a little kid in Sunday school. But he's the king of Moab. His name means devastator. That's what the name means, devastator. So he's, he's taken this superhuman name like, don't mess with me because I'm the devastator. You know, I'm Balak. He's the king there in that whole area, and that area would include Jericho right across the river, where the story will continue as we move into Joshua, because that's the first city that, that these people have to go and occupy as they go in there. That's the story of Ruth, and uh, not Ruth, but it's the story of, of uh, the harlot Rahab. And so we're going to see all that story as we move into that. It's all going to play out. But notice the king, verse 3, is, is exceedingly afraid because there were so many people. We're not sure how many. We don't think there's as many as when, when they began, but they've repopulated 38 years. So 2 million? I mean, you can really guess at that. We don't know. We're not sure. But I would say probably a couple of million people at this point in time. And this report of the, this vast number of people that now occupy this space on the other side of the Jordan River has gotten back to, to the king. And he's concerned about them invading his space. They're already in his space. He doesn't know what to do with them. But he realizes by just the sheer numbers that he's not going to be able to defeat them. So his plan is to use some kind of spiritual deception. That's his plan from the, the very beginning. He's going to hire the, the most influential prophet that everyone knows has some formula, some spell, some demonic power that he's able to really, when he curses somebody, they're cursed for sure, and everybody knows it. He doesn't even live in this area. He's from way, way, way down by Egypt, by the river um, Euphrates. So he, he's not even from the local area. They're gonna, you'll see how they send to get this guy. But Balaam, he's one strange dude. He's not really a prophet of God, but, he's, but God speaks to him. Everything about Balaam is so twisted and so interesting, and we're going we're gonna to learn a little bit about him tonight. But notice here in verse 5, Balaam's supernatural reputation. Then he, that's Balak, verse 5, sent messengers to Balaam. Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people. And he says, look, a people comes to Egypt. They're, they're too big. You've got to curse them. That's basically what he's saying. Now, his name is pronounced Bil-am, Bilam, but we always say Balaam because we see the A's as, as English speakers, and that's the way I'm going to say. His name means not of the people. Very interesting. He's not really a God's prophet. He's not of the people. He's just a strange, wild wizard kind of a guy. Yeah, I mean, I think you could probably call him that. He divines things. He sees the future, and God even speaks to him. That's the weird thing about this whole story. And as we go through these chapters over the next few weeks, we're going to see this man again and again. 
and how God speaks and leads him, although he rejects God over and over and over again, which is always a bad plan. We'll see that in his life. But again, we know more about this man than we know about the 10 apostles of Jesus, like Bartholomew, James, or Thomas. He's mentioned over and over. In 2 Peter 2, Peter says he's following the way, not Peter, but there are the false teachers that are following the way of Balaam, who loved wages of unrighteousness. In Jude 11, Jude says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily, in the error of Balaam for profit. And then this verse behind me on the screen, Revelation 2, 14, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. And he did that, this man that we're going to look at, Balaam, he did that for money. He was well paid for these curses, for this wizardry that he did. So this man, Balaam, he's from a heathen nation, this Pethor, this city in Mesopotamia. We don't know how he became a prophet, but we know he was famous because King Balak knew all about him, and he wasn't from the local area. So he had a reputation of all the people around. He was well known. He's a soothsayer. He's a fortune teller. He's able to predict the future of peoples like Israel. And that's why Balak, the king, is going to send emissaries with lots of food and money and gifts on, a, on, on this 100-mile journey up to entice him to come back and curse these people. So that's the, the backstory to him. And his price is what's really amazing. It, the price that he's being paid is, is amazing. It's astounding. And when you compare him to even modern-day prophets, modern-day so-called health and wealth preachers and teachers and, and churches, you're going to see a lot of similarities between the two. Notice a prophet for hire, verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and they spoke to him the words of the king, Balak. And he said to them, okay, well, I hear your plan. You want me to come to, down to, uh, the, by the Jordan River to Moab? You want me to look at the people? You want me to curse the people? Then notice what he said. So you guys lodge here overnight and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. This guy, this wizard has some kind of Ability to talk to God. It's fascinating. Again, this, this guy. So the elders there, they have this money, the, this, maybe the standard fee for a fortune teller of this time. I, I'm not really sure what that might be, but there's several of them. So they've got some money, and they approach Balaam. And Balaam's a prophet for hire. They take the money. He says, okay, I'll pray about it tonight. I'll, I'll ask God, and I'll have an answer for you. Uh, in the morning. But his problem, Balaam, his problem starts right there when he takes their money. And he starts to seek the true and the living God for something that clearly is sinful. And he becomes an example for us again. When we seek for something sinful instead of the will of God, I'm going to talk about the perfect will of God versus the permissive 
will of God. Because we see that somewhat here in, in the life of Balaam. So Balaam, all he cared about was money. We're going to see that over and over again in his life. Look at verse 9. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men to you? So Balaam said to God, Balak the son of... He has a conversation with God. Isn't that amazing? He said, uh, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, Look, a people come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So there's a clear and concise answer right from the God to this wizard, this prophet that has the most amazing relationship with the living God. Don't you think that, find that interesting? It's, it's fascinating to me. And so God says, you're not going to go with them, no, and you're not going to curse them. Because I bless them. So you're not going to have anything to do. I don't want you going with them. I don't want you spending any time with them. But Balaam wants to go. Why? It's all about the money. He can be bought off. And he wants the money. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about God's judgment. He doesn't care about God's threat to him. That's why he's such an oddity. Of all the people you read about in the Bible, this guy, he's just really different here. And when God tells him all those things, God says, you're not going to go, you're not going to curse the people. Balaam basically shrugs his shoulders and he says, God, you know, you won't let me go, but you guys, you know, I, I talked to God last night and God says no, but if you guys make it worth my while, I'll go. I mean, that's basically what he says here because he's corrupt. All he cares about is money and bilking the people. Again, doesn't that sound familiar? The false teachers that we see on TV, those guys that are wearing those fancy million-dollar suits flying around in their jets with their five houses, and women preachers as well, so-called women preachers. It's just, it's amazing to me. Verse 13, so Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. So it's clear. The message is clear. The Balak's uh, men come back, and they just report. He's not coming. He's not going to do it. He says he, God won't let him leave. Because Balak here is very interesting. He's going to change his strategy just a little bit more, and what he's going to do is send more men. They're called honorable, as you'll see, with more money. So he's, he has, he's gambling the first time. He gave him a little, threw a little, you know, money at him and it wasn't enough. So now he's going to throw a bunch of money at him. That's his plan here. Verse 15, then Balak again sent princes more numerous, more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, thus Balak the son of Zippor, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me for I will certainly honor you greatly. There's a, I'm going to give you even more money than that's showing up on your door right now. And I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come. Curse this people for me. So King Balak's very, very open about what he wants. And he's willing to pay dearly for it. More honorable, more numerous. Means more money, obviously. So he's upping the ante here with all this wealth. He wants him to reconsider. 
So, I mean, think about it. How can Balaam refuse? He's going to make more money. And again, the application for us as believers, it's really interesting. God saves you, and then he gives you a gift to be used for his service. It's up to you to step out in faith and use your gift. If you don't use your gift, then you're really ripping off God and his church because you're not being honest with that gift that God's given you. And that gift could be a, a variety of things or maybe just one thing. Maybe your gift is prayer, and maybe you're faithful at that. Maybe you're not faithful at that. You need to be faithful with that gift. You're not supposed to hide it anywhere. You're supposed to use it. Whether you're a church pastor or a volunteer, there's always a temptation to do it for money. I was listening to uh, Jay Vernon McGee like I always do before I do my studies, and he was talking about how, he goes, it's amazing how, you know, a pastor is working in a small church, and he's happy there to serve the Lord, and then some larger church offers him a call, and all of a sudden, he hears the call of the Lord to a bigger church and a larger ministry. He tells a story, and Esther and I were laughing about it when we heard it. He tells a story about a Uh, one pastor who got a call and he came and told his wife and said hey I got this call to to go to to the first we're we're in the second Baptist church well he called to the first Baptist church the big one in town and she said well shouldn't we pray and he goes he goes well I'll go upstairs and pray but you start packing (laughs) money has a, a twisted way to change our attitude in so many different areas, especially in ministry. If you're serving the Lord in any kind of ministry, you have to be so careful, so careful that money doesn't rule. It's, it's a dangerous thing. I haven't really seen that happen with my brothers in Calvary Chapel. Uh, only, I can only name one, I wouldn't name, but only one that I know of that really was, uh, it was hard for that young Christian with a big ministry, very difficult. But Here's the truth. Money, it's, it's very hard. And Satan is very deceptive. And, and as a Christian, you know, Satan's going to entice you with all kinds of lures. And money is one that, that is used a lot. But God has given us what we need to really battle any kind of difficulty in, in the Christian life. Here it is, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Notice behind me, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Our responsibility is to take up God's armor. God's given us everything that we can when temptation comes, especially money. We just need to be very careful and we need to take on the armor of God. We need to make sure that we're under God and under his authority and not money. Notice here in verse 18, Balaam's second request. Then Balaam answered, and he said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Isn't that interesting? Again, he calls God, the living God, his Lord. This is such an interesting, as we go on, you'll see how twisted it, it is in his relationship. So therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I might know what the Lord will say to me. So he goes, I don't think I can do this, but I'll take all the booty, all the money you give me, all the food and the honor that you're going to bring to me tonight, and then I'll pray about it overnight. 
there's no doubt that Balaam already has God's answer. God said, don't go there and don't curse the people because I blessed them. He's already told them that. But now Balaam's kind of entertaining. Well, but the money's so good. You know, this is really good money. I, I, mean, I mean, if I win the lottery, I can give some to the church. Oh, did I say it? You ever thought that? Don't raise your hand. Don't do that. Don't ever think that way. If God wants to give money to the church, he can give money to the church. And if he wants them in a lawsuit for 15 years, then they'll be in a lawsuit for 15 years. And, and he's sovereign, and he's in control, and we just have to be faithful. It's, it's important for us to do that. But, but it's interesting. Balaam starts to entertain. Well, gee, maybe there's some money for me in here. I'm going to go check again with, with God. Again, God gives us everything that we need as Christians in his word. Everything that you need to grow prosperously, spiritually speaking, God has given that to you in his word. I love 2 Peter 1. Notice behind me on the screen, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God in his word has given you every answer you need. You just need to find it and obey it. Well, you know, if it wasn't so hard to be a good, or if this wasn't so hard, or if there was more clear answer to my the perfect number in my finances, that in the perfect number of the person, the, her picture in the Bible, the one I was supposed to marry. But none of that is relevant, really. We need to trust the Lord. He's told us not to have sexual intercourse before we're married, guys. That's the bottom line. Well, you know, if, if I just live with her, I'd get to know her. Then you'll have all kinds of problems. Believe me. Believe me, the problems do not end. You obey God, he'll bless you. If you step out of his perfect will as a Christian into a place of permissive will, he's going to use that to judge you, and you're going to pay for something. There's going to be a consequence. Although he still loves you, his grace is still perfect in your life, but you've stepped out of his will from the perfect to the permissive. And we see that happening. God's word is unchanging, and he's given us every word from the Bible to tell us what we need to know. Just like Balak, don't go there, don't curse the people. God has given us the same thing in his word, but we try to worm our way through it and say, well, you know, he, he, culturally it doesn't make any sense, you know, because this Bible was written thousands of years ago. Really? Or all of these reasons that, you know, God sees me, but he lets me do what I want. I, I'm saved by grace. I can live however I want. Really? There are Christians that live that way. When our desires to have something more than what God has provided for us becomes our daily pursuit, and we want it so bad, and we keep going back to the Lord, Lord, no, you didn't give me what I needed. I want this. I want this. Pretty soon, you're going to get upset at God, you're going to stop going to church, you're going to get mad at God, and your attitude is really bad. That's a bad plan. Instead of submitting to the Lord and obeying his written word, what's the key to success for a believer? Obey the word of God. And when you do that, you're blessed. Well, you know, I obey 99% of it. It's just that 1% I disagree with. Then you're going to get judged in that area. You're going to struggle in that area until you submit everything to the Lord. God's already given you his complete word. You have everything that 
that leads you to life and godliness. You have to find it, mine it from the scriptures, obey it, trust it, and live it out. Otherwise, you'll be frustrated. You'll be mad at God. I've seen it. I've watched it happen. It's really the worst kind of lie you can tell yourself. Oh, God wants me to have this thing or that wealth, and then I'll just be happy. But deep down inside, only God knows what you need, and you know that's right because you're spiritual. You have the Holy Spirit as a Christian. So you need to obey the Lord, and you need to let him work. Otherwise, you're a Balaam trying to find another way to get what you want done, even though God says, no, don't go there. Don't curse these people. I love that. God never changes his mind. He's not going to change his mind with Balaam. He's not going to change his mind for you and me. We just need to fall in line and obey his word. And then we'll find this uh, wonderful, joy-fulfilled life. So God, he's setting this man, Balaam, up now. He's going to say, okay, you want to go? Go, go. I mean, that, doesn't that sound like you and I sometimes? It's like, God, I want it, I want it, I want it, like a little baby. I want it, I want it. You know, and go, okay, you want it? Okay, there, go, take it. And that's what's going to happen here. Notice here in verse 20, and God came to Balaam at night and said, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that shall you do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princess of Moab. So God's allowing him now to go, but he's limiting his speech and what he can say. You, you can only say what I tell you to say. So step one of Balaam, he's not listening to God. Step two, God's allowing him to go, but God's going to allow him to fall right into his plan of judgment. He stepped out of the perfect will of God intentionally by volition, and now he's in a place of permissive will. He's disobeying God clearly, right? And now he's, God's going to say, okay, you can go, but you still need to listen to me, and you're going to pay for this. You're going to pay for this. That's really what he's saying. And which brings us to verse 22 and what I call donkey talk. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Isn't that interesting? You can go, but now God's mad at him. Why? Because he didn't want him to go. Balaam is disobeying God. He's doing what he wants. So God's anger is aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as the adversary came against him. So remember, Balaam has just saddled his donkey. God said, you want to go? Go. So he gets on his donkey and he starts on his way. Verse 22, God's anger is aroused. The angel of the Lord took a stand in the way of the adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now, verse 23, the donkey saw, or if you have King Jimmy, it says something different there. The angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Again, here's the most fascinating thing of the story. Listen to this. Who's the most perceptive in this story so far? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Balaam is so locked in his desire to get what he wants in the money that he can't see anything at this point. And the donkey sees everything better than this wizard, this prophet here. Kind of reminds me of other animals in the Bible that spoke to great men of God, like the rooster crowing. And Peter knew exactly what that meant. 
And here in Numbers 22, it's a donkey. Known, by the way, as one of the most stubborn beasts, right? Can't get him to go anywhere, can't get him to drink, can't get him to move, whatever it is. But it's this donkey that's very sensitive spiritually to what's going on in front of him. He sees the angel, he sees the sword, and he lays down in the field to avoid judgment. Notice verse 24, Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. So they come to this little place in the road, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And so Balaam's mad again. He starts striking her. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, just lay down, right in the middle of the road. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff this time. He gets off the donkey, starts beating on the donkey. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? I love that. It's amazing. I mean, I, uh, maybe Dr. Doolittle's fails, uh, fairy tales came out of this. I'm not really sure, but... Not only does the donkey speak, but he counts as well. Three times, he says. And, and it, this, is the, this is another one of those amazing moments when you're reading the story. <laughs> Balaam talks to the donkey. I mean, it's like Mr. Ed. When I was raised, you know, it was Mr. Ed, the talking horse. But it's, it's, this is an incredible story. Balaam, is, it seems to be unfaced. He, he's, the donkey says, what are you hitting me for? You know, what, what's going on here? And then Balaam talks back to him said to the donkey, verse 29, because you have abused me. You broke my foot against the wall. You you won't go where I want you to go. I wish there were a sword in my hand because I'd kill you right now. I mean, (laughs) he's so upset. Again, which really indicates where his heart is, right? He doesn't care about anything. He's going to kill his own animal, this animal that he's had for a long time, as we find out here. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day. I've been faithful. I've always been your donkey. I've done the right thing. (laughs) The donkey's talking to him. Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And and here it is. He answers him. Balaam talks back to the donkey. No. (laughs) It's it's mind-blowing. This whole story just cracks me up. And Balaam here has to admit to his donkey, this sheep, you know, this donkey, that she had never acted this way before. No, you've never done this before. Real interesting. Now, here in these next verses, verse 31, 38, God is now going to confront Balaam. He's going to open his eyes and show him what the donkey has been saying all along. So God opens Balaam's eyes here in verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. I think it was just before he, as a you know, wizard with his sword, just, he's going to cut the head right off that donkey, right? And so just as he's rearing back to cut off the, because he's mad, God shows him now the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his drawn sword in his hand. And so what does Balaam do? He bowed his head and he fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? What are you doing? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse. 
before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live because you're worthless. You're disobedient. You're judged by God. But the donkey, she's okay. I mean, again, the angel of the Lord, the clear message here is Balaam, you need to turn around. You need to think twice about what you're doing. I'm trying to, to make you stop here, but you're not listening. There's no change of heart. He's just mad. And the word perverse there in verse 32, it, it has the whole idea of going the wrong way. You're perverse. You're, going the, you're on a bad path. You're going the wrong direction. And that's exactly what Balaam's doing. And his sin is leading him in the wrong direction. And he's not repentant. Although there's a little bit, you'll hear this in the story tonight, there's a little bit of repentance, but it's not real repentance. So verse 34, And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, if you or I encountered an angel, I think we'd act the same way. It shocked you to fall down before it. You know, if you, if you had an angel before you, you're walking along, you know, go, driving down the, the road, and all of a sudden you see an angel. I think it would freak you out. And you're going to listen, and that's really what happens. So there's a, a, a brief moment where he's like, <gasps> you know, I busted. And his, so he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He wasn't repentant. He's just sorry that he got caught. Notice, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men but only the word that I speak to you that you shall speak. So the same message, you're only going to say what I allow you to say. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So again, this is the second warning that he's received now, but he keeps going. Why does he keep going? He's not listening at all. And here's the reason why, because he's trying to serve two masters. He's trying to serve his number one master, which is money. And, and be spiritual at the same time. But money is clearly what Balaam wants. He is more interested in money. Jesus said this. You know this verse behind me here on the screen. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. That's what that literally says. You can't serve God in money. The Christian, you and I as believers, can, should never be motivated by money. Never. But Pastor Lee, you know, it buys a, a softer bed, a, a nicer home, a, a, a more luxurious car that drives across the bumps nice and, I don't care what kind of car you have, you go down 5th Street over, or 9th Street over here, it'll beat you up. I go down that street all the time. But here's the truth. Jesus said it. The truth is that Balaam only cares about money. And you can't serve God and money. This prophet is like the false teachers today. They're in it for the money. Jude 11 calls it the error of Balaam for profit. Again, money and the love of money will lead many, many people into sin. Pastors, Young marrieds, doesn't matter who you are, the, the thirst for more money in whatever pursuit that takes you, rather than your pursuit to love and honor God, 
and trust God to provide for you is just wrong. A Christian is supposed to trust the Lord. And you know what happens to those that God loves? He loves you too much to let you go for. So you go so far for your money, and then pretty soon something breaks. Maybe it's a marriage that breaks. Maybe it's one of your kids that breaks. Maybe it's a car that breaks. I don't know. Something breaks, and then now you have to figure this out, and you don't have the money. So what do you do? You go back to where you began. You trust the Lord. You have to trust the Lord for his provision, for God's supply. There's a warning here to all of us that money has led people into sin. So the angels, they warn Balaam again here in verse 35. Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that shall you speak. So God is not changing his mind here. God is not saying, well, you know, you're, pretty, you're a tough case, so I'm, I'm going to let you go with the men, but, but don't say anything. That's not the plan here. God has already told him, don't go. He hasn't changed his mind. It's Balaam who's operating in this place of the permissive will of God, where he has choice and volition. When you come to Christ, God doesn't make you a robot. You just go certain places and do and say the perfect things. You have volition. You have decisions. You have choices. You have if, if, if throughout the Bible, if, if my people will humble themselves and pray. Then I'll heal their land, you know, in, in, in the Old Testament. If my people obey me and obey my word, I'll bless them. Over and over in the Bible, it's, your life is a, a choice. And so this man has made a choice. I'm going there regardless of what God says. And so the angel says, okay, you want judgment? You're going to get judgment, but you're not going to say anything that God doesn't want you to say. And so, again, we need, as Christians, to operate in that perfect will of God, that place where we know. What do we know? Well, Pastor Lee, what do you know? Well, you have a Bible. You know what the Ten Commandments are. Live it. You know what Jesus said in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you're doing those things, you're not going to offend people. You're going to give to people. You're going to serve others. That's where you really find uh, joy, peace, even confidence. Because we know the Lord, and we're reading his word, and we're fellowshipping regularly with other believers to, to get prayer, to receive prayer, and to give prayer and support for one another as believers. And God blesses us. But when we live in what's known as the permissive will of God. God allows us to choose our own path. He permits us to briefly, and I would say briefly for most Christians, to live outside of his will. And when we're outside of his will, it's just not comfortable. And you've been there. I've been there. And once you realize it, it's like, ah, and you want to get back into fellowship. The reason it's hard to do that is because we don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to say, I'm sorry, or we don't want to say, I was wrong. Those are the sweetest words. That's what the Lord wants. He wants a repentant heart. He wants a sorrowful heart. He wants a forgiving heart. And that's what God calls us as a church to do and, and, and members of the body to do as well, to, to be in that perfect will of God. But God knows. He knows. He sees. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He sees it all. That's why it's so fruitless to even try 
to step out of his will and get in his permissive will and not stay in that perfect will of God. His plan, it will never fail us. He will use those sinful choices for our good and for his glory. I love Romans 8, and when applied in this way, it makes sense, right? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. God's going to work it out. might not be the way I want it worked out, but he'll work it out. He's going to work it out, and it's going to be good. So take your hands off it. Get back in his perfect will. Be obedient to his word. In Balaam's case here, he's a fraud. He's a fraud all along. He's in it for the money. That's all he cares about. He's somewhat repentant, but it's not a change of heart. He's just busted, and I'm sorry that I got caught. That's really all it is. Now, these closing verses here are about Balaam, who meets Balak. He finally gets to meet the king. Verse 36, now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send you calling for you? Why did you not come? Like the first time, the second time? Am I not an honor to you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I've come to you now. Now I have any power at, at all to say anything. He says, the word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went to Balak, and they came to this place, Kirjath Hussoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep. Interesting, and and kind of a, it's a sacrificial thing here. Not to the living God, but to one of his gods. And then he sent some of the offering to Balaam because he wanted to keep them happy, so he's going to feed them this food. Uh, and, uh, uh, and the princes who were with him. So again, Balaam's protests here, they're, they're real ambiguous. He's, he's, he's kind of playing two sides here. He wants the money, and he wants to hear from God. And he's duplicitous in his ways. He's, he's got two different minds and two different things going on but he knows how to schmooze, if, you could, if I could use that word. He knows how to, how to make the thing, get what he wants from the king, in this case, money. He says in verse 37, am I not able to honor you? So he's, he's manipulative as well in all these things. Now, the lessons that we're going to learn as we, this chapter tonight and the next couple of chapters are really all based on this. So it's important to get a foundation here. But here's the lesson that we're going to learn. We need to live in the perfect will of God. We need to be obedient to the written word of God. It's not really a question, I'm hungry, should I go in the store and steal food to eat? That's, that's, a, that's a stupid question. We know thou shalt not steal, right? I'm, if I'm living by the, we need to trust in the Lord. We can't step outside into this permissive spot, but we need to stay in the perfect will of God. And we'll see that reoccurring theme in the next several chapters. Let's pray.